Well, it's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 710 for December 21st, 2021. And I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, our guest is Bart Bouchatz, back with Programming by Stealth, installment 132. And this is our final Chit Chat Across the Pond of 2021. How's that, Bart? That is good. Goodbye, 2021. <laughs> I was, I'd love to say glad to have met you, but to be honest, no, you were a terrible disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> you reminded me far too much of 2020, and I wanted a repeat of 2019, please. There you go. That's what we thought. Well, I really appreciate you uh, helping us do this early so that we can get one more show out, squeeze one more out this year before uh, before we go into 2022, which is bound to be better. <laughs> oh, famous last words. But let, us, hope, let, us, let us assume so. I hope future people are going, yes, it was. It was much better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the thing, right? None. You never know. You can't see the future. It's very annoying. Yeah. Well, hey, I want to start the show by teasing Bart a little bit because mm. uh, just about every Programming by Stealth listener came back from last week's show and said, uh, there is so a waffle emoji. The Belgians are not being discriminated against. And I thought, well, well that can't be right. Bart wouldn't be wrong about it. I mean, he is the emoji man. He knows this. And I checked and sure enough, there's a waffle emoji. So what's going on with that, Bart? Well... Had I had my indignation before 2019, I would have been right. And I could have gone to the uh, Unicode Consortium with the proposal. But in 2019, someone else did. But the Mac I record on is running, uh, oh, it's the one I can't pronounce. The Mojave? Mojave, I think. Close yeah. enough. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't have it. So when everyone bombarded me with, look, here it is. All I got was square box question mark. Oh, how funny. <laughs> then I picked up my phone. It's like, oh, yeah, that's a waffle. I disagree with the choice of shape, but that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I, I knew that that was a critical issue and that we needed to take care of that up front because, uh, you know, people in the future might think that it got implemented after this. But we wanted to we wanted to put that to bed. Uh, we have waffles and pancakes from here on out. Yes, although we do have a disagreement on the shape of the pancake emoji, too, within the community. So. <laughs> You guys stack them, we roll them. Uh, highly, highly controversial. <laughs> food, food, I tell you, it really gets people. <laughs> well, the other thing I wanted to say is there's a lot of excitement about this whole idea of documentation using JSDoc. People are writing a bunch in our Slack at podfeed.com slash Slack about how this is cool and they're testing it and they're trying it out and I've been trying it out. And it's kind of weird that you've succeeded at getting us excited about documentation. Yeah, of all of the things, that's probably the most amazing of everything we've done here like the very concept of an audio podcast about programming is nuts to start with anyway but the concept of exciting people about documentation is actually unbelievable so <laughs> i'm rather pleased because you know i think it's really important because future me i know i have been future me a few times now there have been many many times where i have started sentences with thank goodness i documented that Oh, yeah. Usually it's when there's giant big red lights and everything's broken and oh my God, oh my God, terrible problem, terrible problem. And I go, no, don't worry. I documented this and I read back what I wrote to myself and it makes perfect sense and I fixed the problem. Oh, and I goes, oh thank goodness you wrote that down. I was like, yes, I have learned from my lessons. <laughs> so the two of you talk to each other about this, thank each other, pat each other on the head. Yeah, I honestly, goodness, future Bart and, you know, or present Bart and past Bart, I've often, if I could buy past Bart a cup of coffee, I would. <laughs> Buy one for future Bart then. <laughs> yes, that's true, actually. Although Helma takes care of Bart's coffee needs. Thank you, Helma. Um, I'm, All right. Actually, I'm currently enjoying 
the perfect helmet coffee because I have a bit of a Christmas tradition that there is one bottle of Amaretto bought every year around Christmas time. Oh, so this isn't just coffee. This is Italian coffee, <laughs> i.e., coffee with a shot of of uh, Amaretto. So, okay, so if you get loopier goodness. as we go through, we'll know why. Well, it's one shot. It's literally a tablespoon of amaretto. I, I would like to think that shouldn't... Uh, I'm getting old. We shall see. Anyway. So, in our previous documentation journey, we looked at the practicalities of writing the actual text that will be the documentation, right? So, the doc comments were the were the where we put the words. And some of those words were codish words, right? With the, with the inline and the block tags. That is... A sort of a markup language, right? It's kind of HTML-ish in a way, right? You're saying what it is rather than how it should look. Right. right. But you are, right. you're specifying a what. So you could argue that actually it's, it's a markup language as well as everything else. So we're writing some English and some markup. And we're describing what it is in our code. And so we spent the installment on it last time. And I won't say it's the world's most definitive exploration of the topic, but really doing is the way you learn JS doc. Like, it's, you know, you describe it once, you link to the documentation, and to be honest, from that point on, you do it, you hit the build button, doesn't look right, you read the manual again and go, oh, I see what I've done here, and you do it again, and then the next time it won't be so bad. I am successfully at the writing garbage documentation stage, so I'm writing it, and it's showing up. It's garbage. Good, and what you will... What you will begin to discover is that if you get the tags wrong, uh, the, well, actually, um, that's interesting. I might actually tweak it. Oh, there's sugar. I just realized I forgot to do one thing in the, doc, in the, in the show notes, but I will talk about it later. So by default, JS Doc is very forgiving of foibles. It sort of takes the old web browser approach of if you write me garbage, I'll just ignore it. So if you put in a tag that doesn't make sense, it's not going to give an error. It'll just ignore it. So you'll uh. notice you've got it wrong because you've written some words and when you look at the finished documentation, they're missing. Oh, yeah. I have some of those. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And so you, there is a configuration variable you can set in the config file we're going to be looking at that will turn those silent, ah, yeah, whatevers into warnings on the console. Oh, that's kind of nice. So I would actually recommend, and so when we do this for real, when we actually deploy a live config, I will definitely have that setting turned on because I like to know when my syntax is wrong as opposed to it's silently being ignored because will I remember to check? No, is the answer. I will have written the doc comment and I will just assume it's fine. Yeah, that's assuming that human error won't be caught by a human who makes errors. Exactly. Or will be caught. Will be caught by a human who makes errors. <laughs> exactly. So it's not in this time's show notes, but we will definitely we will definitely do it when we when because we, we're going to have a whole episode dedicated to the scaffolding of the project, the actual putting together of the GitHub repo that will become the new XKPassWD, right? Because that scaffolding is very important. Yeah. And one of the things we will definitely include in that scaffolding is that when JS doc is triggered, it will it will proactively whine at us. Good. good, uh, good if good. it's unhappy. Because that definitely helps. I think that's definitely a good way to, to get better. So the last time was about the writing of the doc comments. This installment is entirely about managing JS doc without us having to remember giant big icky commands. We would like to control its behavior so that we assert some control over how the doc comments get translated into a web page. And we would like to automate the donkey work 
so that we don't have to... It, basically, if it's a chore, it won't get done. So we need to make absolutely sure it's not a chore. And or so even that's if it's actually, not a chore, if it's uh, typo-ridden, because you can't yeah, quite exactly. remember how to do it. Yeah, and, you know, sure, you can do little workarounds like text expander snippets, and that's great when you have no other choice, but we can do better than that. We, we can make the computer do the work for us here. Especially so if we're, we're working as a team, you can't guarantee everybody's right. got the text expander snippet. I mean, hypothetically, you could say, well, if you want to contribute, you must install text expander and you must use this shared text expander library. But now you've just put a fairly big barrier to entry there. Which is what we're trying to avoid. Right, exactly. You're looking for volunteers to help and give freely of their own time. Like, don't make it hard. (laughs) And cost money. And cost money. And and that too is counterproductive in all sorts of ways. Exactly. So we're actually going to start with the getting it all automated bit. And so the first piece of that puzzle is the fact that JSDoc supports configuration files. And I had hoped that we could completely ignore them uh, in the previous installment to avoid confusion. But due to an interaction, shall we say, between the universe as Node.js sees it and the universe as JSDoc sees it, we were forced to have a teensy-veensy tiny little config file last time. We didn't dwell on it. I just sort of told you it was there. And I said, yeah, minus C and then the path to the config file. And literally the only thing the config file did was say that MJS files are JavaScript files. Because by default, JSDoc does not believe you that an MJS file is a JavaScript file. And it ignores them, which is not what we want. So, so which which file, one thing I do get a little bit confused sometimes is which file is 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 controlling what? Which one is the config file? So the one I have chosen to name jsdoc.conf.json is the jsdoc.config file. It okay. could be named anything because you pass it to jsdoc with the minus C flag. So you say minus C and then the name of the file that will be the config file. So you could argue, you could call it waffles. But I am a big believer in naming things, obviously. So I called it jsdoc.conf.json. Okay. Uh, some people actually make it a hidden dot file. It's hmm. like... Do you want people never to configure JS Doc properly? <laughs> I, I was asking that, especially because, um, you know, I use GitHub Copilot, which auto-completes a lot of stuff for me. And when I was trying to practice some of the stuff in this lesson, it looked for, it thought I was going to type jsdoc.json without the conf in it. And I was curious whether that was a convention, your convention, a standard way of writing it. I think sticking the conf in is probably a meism. I, okay. I'm a big believer in double barrel file extensions. Um, okay. <laughs> so I will often I will often have dot um, md.txt because Markdown is plain text. Oh, interesting. But you're telling yourself, but I wrote in Markdown. But I wrote in Markdown. And so this oh, is a JSON file, but it is a config file. So .conf.json. I'm, I'm a big fan of double like barrel file extensions. I like that. I would have never thought to do that intentionally. But yeah, that's a great idea. Okay. Yeah. So that's a Bartism, yeah. Okay, so when, when you're talking about the config file, that's the one you're calling jsdoc.conf.json. Correct. Okay. And so the last time it was very, very short. It just literally said source, include pattern, and then this regular expression. Right. Big po- it's copy-paste job, really. Uh, but now we're going to expand that file little by little, piece by piece, making it do a little bit more. So the next directive I want to talk about is, so last time we included every file after, at the end of the jsdoc command. So we had 
N- N- npx space js doc space minus c the config file space the files we wanted it to read. Okay. Well, the files we wanted to read, that's kind of built into the structure of the the project. So we shouldn't have to specify that on the command line. We should actually just include that in the config file. And so there's a directive, uh, source.include, that lets you specify an array of files or folders. But So you chose to put the files that are going to be the source all into one folder so that you could do this? Yes. Well, not just so I could do this, but that is one of the advantages of having a source folder. But as we will learn later, there are other reasons. So your repository that's going to make up the final project when we have a real thing to ship is going to contain more than the source code. So if you have the source code sitting at the root of your structure, then you have a giant big hodgepodge of a mess, right? Because you have things... Well, there are things that have to be in the repo that are not source code. And so if the source code is sitting at the root, well, then it's all interspersed together. Yeah, how how is that a big mess? I mean, I've got my index file, my HTML... And a, and a node underscore modules folder. Okay, well, the source code is the input that is used to create outputs. So if your input and your outputs are all in one big mess, it gets very difficult to see what's going on. It's okay. a lot easier Maybe it to has have... to do with when you've got a lot of stuff. I don't have a lot of stuff. Okay, but you, A, you don't have a lot of stuff, and B, you are not yet using a package manager. You're not yet using a packager like um, Webpack, which we haven't looked at yet. So you don't yet have the concept of an input and an output. Right, right. Okay. Whereas okay. we will. Because, so this is, uh, this is a convention that is, makes things cleaner. It certainly has an advantage here in defining the source. So you've created a folder called uh, SRC. Mm. And, in, and that in, is a convention, yeah. Sorry? And that is a convention. That is a long, that's such an okay. old convention. We left out half the letters. <laughs> they just disappear after a while. Okay, so in in the config file, you're going to define a source. You say include, and it's dot slash src. So that way, yeah. everything that's in your src folder is going to get included. What does it? What does source mean? What is okay? So source is the name of the config variable that is defined in the J, JS doc documentation. Oh, okay. okay. So that is not okay. our choosing. Okay. Right. All right, and yeah. it means source code. Or... No, it means the source in terms of uh, JS. Okay, they named it. Where that, am I? Go- where mean... am I going to go find my my document? My doc comments in the source. Exactly. Okay. What is my input? Yeah, exactly. So from JS Doc's point of view, the source gotcha. is the in. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And so, where do I go look? And then the include pattern is how do I filter what I find? And that was where you were saying I'm I'm putting in MJS files, but I'm just treating them like J- uh, JavaScript. Yeah. Well, basically, uh, if you don't, by default, it will only include .js and .js doc files. It will ignore everything else. Even if you specify the files in the include, it will ignore them unless unless you tell it to. Okay. So we, we had to educate it, which is why we have the include pattern on the next as the other. Um, by default, JS doc will recurse into its includes up to 10 levels deep. If your source code is in more than 10 nested folders, there is something wrong. Hmm. Now, you can tell JSDoc with the uh, opts.recurse function, I think. Sorry, it's... It, yeah, somewhere there's a, there's a setting to tell it to go deeper. No! <laughs> it's called recurse depth. 
Um, or you can tell it not to recurse at all with opt.recurse to false. But again, it's fine. It's fine. Um, the only reason you might say don't recurse is if you know that there's, that it's a flat structure and you don't want it to go any deeper, but you definitely don't want it to go deeper than 10. Jesus, what, what are you doing if you need more than that? Um, the next important thing is that any of the command line options, so if you read the documentation for JSDoc and it lists all the command line options, anything that exists as a command line option, you can specify in the config file by putting it under opts. So opts allows you to specify the command line arguments you want to just have by default, and you have to use the long version of the command of the of the command line option. So minus minus readme is minus or, but if you want to include it in your config file, it's opts, and then inside opts readme. Okay, hang on. Uh, I forget why did we put in minus minus readme? So okay, so minus minus readme lets you specify a markdown file to use as the homepage of your documentation site. Okay, so we could do that at the command line, or we could just put it in the ops, and then we don't have to put it in there. Bing, bing, bing. Gotcha. That's okay. basically, so some of the config file is replacing command line arguments, and then sometimes it's doing things that are impossible without the config file. Oh, but anyway, okay. more on that later. Okay. I like JSON, by the way. It's just so, just so darn readable. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Compared to XML, which was the previous fad, I'm so glad Jason has taken over as the new fad. It's much, much okay. nicer. You may be wondering, I can have command line arguments and I can have the same arguments in the JSON file. If I say something different, who wins? Yeah. The answer is the command line wins over the config file. So you can use the config file to set a default and then you can override it from the command line which is actually okay. convenient. Okay. So that is a good thing, and we will see some good uses for that. Uh, you could also, if you wanted, include the destination option. So last time we had minus minus destination to specify the output folder. You could put that in opts destination, uh, but we're actually going to be building two sets of documentation. Oh, that's So for right. us, the destination isn't constant. It's a variable, so I don't include it in my config files. But that's kind okay. of unusual. Okay, well, hmm. a lot of people just do one set of documentation and then have some English somewhere that says, and ignore all of these unless you're developing on the code. Okay. I don't like that. I don't like that. We're snazzier um, than that. Or they just don't make the secret internal documentation available at all. In which case, that's not helpful. Anyway, um, another one we probably should do for a good measure It'll default to UTF-8, but sometimes relying on defaults causes problems. So the other one that I code in always is the opts encoding to UTF-8. Just life is easier if everything is UTF-8. So just <laughs> nail it to UTF-8 and don't worry about it anymore. I do notice that's one of those, that's in the category of things where, well, back in my day, you had to tell it. And and yet you just feel like if, if I just put it in there, I know nothing bad will happen, right? So I'm yes. going to keep doing it. And I think you should, because the day is going to come when UTF-16 or something else becomes a new default, and everything legacy that just went, ah, yeah, sure, everything's UTF-8, why bother specifying it, is going to break. Oh, okay. All right. And my stuff won't, because I'll have nailed the UTF-8 colors to the mast. How's my thinking, anyway? You know, future me may laugh and say, what a waste of your time. But really, is, you know, is it that much effort? So I just do it. Uh, the next thing, then, is... There are things that JSDoc can do that there are no command line flags for. 
So unless you write a config file, you cannot do them. And the, one of those is controlling plugins. So by default, JSDoc ships with two plugins. One is called Summarize. Um, I don't like it at all. Do you remember the first time we used JSDoc a few installments ago it had everything duplicated? That was the Summarize plugin. Briefly summarizing our one-paragraph descriptions into identical one-paragraph descriptions. Yeah. So that's where those duplicates were coming from, the bloody Summarize plugin. So don't enable that one. Um... <laughs> To enable a plugin, you'd literally put its name into the plugins array. So inside your JS, your JS.config file, you make a key called plugins, and its value is an array of strings, and those strings are the names of the plugins. So Where the only did one we find this plugin for Markdown, though, that we're using? It's standard. It's part, it ships as part of JSDoc. How, how does one know that? Because there's a section of the JSDoc documentation called plugins that says JSDoc ships with two plugins. They are called summarize. And so this is copy paste straight from So these are the only two plugins that exist for JSDoc? Out of the box. So if it's out of the box, why do I have to specify it? It is included. It is functionality that exists. It is not turned on. Ah, okay. Okay. And then we could go get plugins elsewhere? Correct. Or we could write our own. There's an API. Okay. Not suggesting we do, but okay. right. If if you're a big enough open source project and your need was great enough, and JSDoc was like ninety percent of what you needed, you could add the other ten percent with some custom plugins. Hmm. Okay. So, now I I haven't seen any. I haven't seen a use for any. No, I lie. I did find one uh, Stack Overflow where someone had a very specific problem. And it was answered with a custom plugin that was only 10 lines long. And it did slightly impress me at how powerful the plugin API is. But I don't have any need. So, <laughs> okay, nice to know. I, I know that exists. So we're going to enable Markdown because Markdown rocks. Uh, the other thing then we, we can assert a little bit of control over is how JSDoc will behave in relation to the inline and block tags that make up our doc comments. Hmm. So. Out of the box, JSDoc actually supports two sets of tags, which it calls dictionaries of tags. It supports the official JSDoc ones, which are documented on the website, and it supports those for something called the Closure Compiler, which is a Google thing. It's sort of a way of adding... It's a way of making JavaScript more strict. It, I guess it's, it, it hmm. achieves the same thing that TypeScript does, just does it in a different way. And there's a very, very big overlap between um, Closure Compiler and the JSDoc tags because actually Google modeled their tags after JSDoc. And so JSDoc will support both. And wherever there's a, wherever there's a disagreement in the meaning of the, the tag with the same name, JSDoc will preference itself. But you don't have to do it that way. You can say the tags.dictionaries config setting is an array where you list the dictionaries and the default is JSDoc comma closure. If you don't want the Google stuff, just change the array to JSDoc. If you don't want the JSDoc stuff, change the array to closure. Or if you want to swap the order, change the array to closure comma JSDoc. You can have any how permutation of those four options. But how do I know which one I want to do? Unless you know, uh, unless you know, the answer is the default. Which is both. 
which is both with JS doc taking the lead. What that means is that you can go to Stack Overflow and copy and paste someone's answer and it'll work. Okay. All right. Whereas if you disable the Google one, then there's a 75% chance when you copy and paste it'll work. Okay. So the other one that I think is much more interesting is that how should, how do you want JS doc to behave when it comes across a tag it doesn't know? So the default behavior is to just ignore it completely. But you can say tags.allowUnknownTags and you can set that to false, at which point it will put out a warning when it meets a tag it has no idea what it is. So not if you get the syntax wrong within a real tag, right? If you mess up the syntax of an at param, that's not going to trigger this kind of warning because at param exists. It's not an unknown tag. But if I did if you have waffles, this turned on... Exactly. Or more likely at Pamra or whatever way you can accidentally transpose two letters in Param, right? I will do that all the time. And so if you have allow unknown tags to true to, to the default of true, they'll just be silently swallowed typos. Whereas if you have it set to false, you'll get a proactive, uh, I don't know, what the hell's a, a turn ret? Oh, return. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> so that's definitely one I always do. So tags that allow unknown tags, I set to false. So that's what we were talking about before. Otherwise, it would silently just go over it, and you'd think that you'd done it right, and then two years from now, but going, the, I swear I, I documented that. But this is a subset of the... Oh. What I had meant to include here is there's another option that says... So this will say, if I meet a tag I don't know, warn. But what if you give a real tag garbage? At the moment, I haven't added the extra directive to say, and also upgrade any of your problems into full-on warnings. So getting a param tag wrong is different to using a tag that doesn't exist. So we actually want both of them to shout at us. So I need to, before we go into production, I will figure out the config variable and we will add that one into our standard config. Now I've made a note here, so by the time people see this, it will be fixed or added. Ah, okay. Well, then I will do my reading and figure out whatever it is because it'll be something simple like, yeah, it's probably strict, going to be something like strict mode or something like that, right? It, okay. It'll be some some little flag that just says, and I want you to be really shouty, which is a good thing. Okay, so, so that's actually it. So hang on. So uh, you set tags dot allow unknown tags to false. So mm-hmm. that way, if you write misspell param, it'll barf at you and tell you you're an idiot and go figure that out. But then you've you also said dictionaries js dot comma closure. That sounds like that's you're choosing both when the, both would be there automatically. Correct. I'm explicitly picking the default. But you have to pick the default for the default to nope. be there? No, I just like to be explicit sometimes. Okay. All right. So again, looking back, there won't be any question. Ex- exactly. So if I'm asking myself, how did I configure this? Because it's actually kind of hard to find the default sometimes. Yeah. Like, yeah, okay. Oh, I've left it to the default. Great. What's the default? <laughs> Does the order matter? You put JS yes. doc first and then closure? Correct. So the order okay. matters on the, there are some cases where Google and JS doc assign a different meaning to the same tag. And the order you put them in determines who wins the argument. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. It's, it's a way. Of, yeah, exactly. So that's it in terms of configuring JS doc for now. We will we will revisit that topic for a very specific reason later, but for now, that's it. So the next thing we want to do is replace our big, long, icky commands with something short and simple. 
So instead of typing npx space js doc space minus e space the path of the config file space minus minus destination, all that glop, right? Instead of writing all of that, we actually want to, we want something simpler. And our friend here is Node.js. So Node.js's package manager, npm, has support for automation. Hmm. It, so if you open, so npm and Node.js use package.json as their config file. Okay, so and we inside, have one of those. We have one of those. Okay. Because we're using that to manage our dependencies, right? Um, right. That tells us that we need to go get JS doc, and it'll tell us later what theme to go fetch as well. So we already have a package.json, and one of its features is that you can define, you can basically give a name to a complicated terminal command. And you do that with a config setting inside the, the package.json called scripts. No. And scripts is a dictionary of the the short name mapping to the big, long, ugly command. Okay. So we can simply have one called docs, which maps to the full npx, blah, 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 blah. Okay, so uh, I'm going to say the blah, 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 but because it's obvious to me because I'm looking at it, but it's scripts, and then the dictionary has docs, colon, npx, jsdoc-c, tells you the config file, tells you the destination. All of that is all basically docs is your text expander snippet for that? In effect, yes, because what you can then do is npm space run space name of script. Okay. So that now becomes npm run docs. And the same mechanism is going to be driving all of our other automations. So when we have when we choose our test suite, it's going to be npm run test. Oh, okay. And that will call QUnit or whichever of them, Jasmine or whatever I end up picking in the end, it will run that for us. And again, all of the command line arguments will be baked into that script definition hmm. instead okay. of it having to be remember this or it's a readme file and you have to copy and paste from the readme file. It's much, much better. And there are conventions, right? So the npm run test is just pretty much every open source project has npm run test. So in, uh, Bart has put in here a, uh, a, a just a test test message, if you will. It says echo error, no test specified. Um, well, I, this I didn't actually, even do that. That's this actually, actually popped in when I used uh, GitHub Copilot. I wrote well, test would, and it put the rest of it in. I would expect it to because also if you do npm space init, that's actually the default. The scripts, okay. by default, scripts contains one entry test, which contains the error, no test. Okay. So that's actually, so I can't even take credit for that. That was actually put there by npm in it. Okay. Which, yeah. Okay. So once you have, uh, now actually the show notes have just been corrected on my end. Uh, I forgot that after your minus minus destination, you actually have to specify the source files. So oh, dot yeah. slash SRC has to be okay. popped in there as well. Uh, so that, as I say, that'll be fixed when people read this. So we can actually then, once we're all done, we just, uh, okay, so that is simple. Already that's quite a lot of typing it saved us, uh, but actually we have a little bit more work to do uh, because, um, actually, sorry, I'm correcting myself wrongly. We put the source into the bloody config file, so we don't have to specify it in the command. We That's put it in the right. config file. <laughs> so I, my correct, I don't need to correct myself. You were wrong. You weren't wrong. 
I was <laughs> what, what a an idiot. of an error is that? Yeah. <laughs> I was wrong in my being wrong. Anyway, so if we do that, right, so just the um, NPX whatever, then the first time we run it, it will create a folder called docs and it will fill it up with the documentation. And the second time we run it, it will overwrite the content of that folder, but it won't empty it. Hmm. And a lot of the time that's okay. But if you rename a class, then the a new .html file will be created for the new class, but the old one will not get cleaned up. Oh. And so, so you, you really want to wipe it clean first before you shove the new one in? You do. So what you actually want to do is run two terminal commands, one after the other, So which you can do with a semicolon. So actually, you need to have rm space minus rf dot forward slash docs forward slash star semicolon npx js doc minus e da, 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 da. Okay, so you're saying just remove everything recursively, get rid of everything in the docs folder, and now run the documentation. And now run the documentation, and that that okay. will work. And you've put that, that all in the same script for uh, correct. Docs. It has to be in the same script. Okay. Oh. Now that will work, but it makes me cranky. Because the first time you run that, you will see on the console, error, no such file or directory. And then it will work. And then the second time you run it, it'll be fine. Because there will be a docs folder for it to go and empty. But that's going to bother Bart, isn't it? It is going to bother me. And I've been doing an awful, awful lot of uh, shell scripting and work the last year. Uh, so I'm now at the stage where it just comes as naturally to me to actually do these things properly on the shell. So... Any POSIX-compliant operating system, like, say, the Mac or Linux or whatever, there's a command called test, which has the wonderful alias open square bracket, open square bracket. And it actually allows you to construct, basically, open square bracket, open square bracket, some condition, close square bracket, and then you say ampersand, ampersand, the command. And the command will only run if the condition is true. So that means we can say, delete our stuff, if we have stuff. Okay. So minus E is the code for for an existence check. So open square bracket, open square bracket space minus E dot slash docs means if dot slash docs exists, then ORM minus ORF docs forward slash whatever. And that just makes the command conditional. So So you don't care if the docs folder is there but empty. You care that it exists at all? Yeah, if it exists at all, we want to empty it. And then the ORM command won't give an error because it exists. The ORM command will quite happily delete nothing. It just won't allow you to say delete nothing from somewhere that doesn't exist. Oh, I got you, got you. Right, right, right. Okay. So that, that takes care of the problem. And I mean, it's a small amount of extra typing, but it's, you know, if you're going to do it, do it right. When you're only doing so, it once. Well, exactly. You may as well put the time in because from now on it's going to be automated. So you may as well automate it right. Sure. Um, so we're getting pretty good now, but I am going to save myself the danger of a future typo. This is something I have learned with my sysadmin hat firmly on my head. If you have a big, long command that starts to get quite unwieldy and it contains the same piece of information multiple times, if in the future you have to update that piece of information, I promise you, you will fix it in N minus one places. (laughs) Whatever, if it's three times two, N minus one, exactly. N minus one, you'll (laughs) almost get it. And you'll just go and starting well miss one. Okay. So the answer to that is the same answer you would use if you were programming. The answer is to use a variable. 
So we're going to make a variable called doctor, and we're going to set doctor equal to dot slash docs, and then we're going to use dollar doctor, which is the shell script way of saying the value of the variable, and we're going to use that in our code. So the end result is that we end up with so that you need to escape the quotation marks. So we end up with docs being defined. Doctor becomes equal to dot slash docs semicolon, our square bracket contraption, followed by our delete command, followed by the actual JS doc command. But again, write once, use infinity times. That's getting hard to read. Which is why I built it up in steps. Yeah. Yeah. Because the last step, oh yeah, and now put a backslash in front of all the quotation marks. That's where it goes from, I can read this to, oh. Wait, backslash for... Right, because the JSON has a meaning for quote, right? We need to put a quote inside a JSON string. So, backslashes. Yeah, that's the bit where it really goes to, but again... It starts to look like the cat walked on the keyboard now. (laughs) Or, so what was it? Someone said, C code over a dirty modem was their definition of Perl. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, uh, but thankfully, it's a write at once and we're done. And if we change our mind on the destination, we just change dot slash docs at the start of the big icky command and it's taken care of. It'll okay. always be right. It'll always match the whole way through the command. So great. Let us, let us stop talking. Let us start some doing. So there is a zip file for this installment. It contains one folder, which is pbs132a. <laughs> which is a Node.js project folder. So it has a, a package.json and it also has a jsdoc.conf.json so that we can actually do our stuff. Um, and in that package.json, I have included our docs command. So to get started, open up the folder in the terminal. And the first thing to do is to tell npm to go and fetch jsdoc and everything else it needs. So that's npm space ci. And that appears to have created a package-lock.json file. Uh, wasn't the lock file already there? The package-lock.json file was created with an... Uh, there's a warning was created with an old version of NPM. Oh, so maybe it already was there. Something got no, created. No, it definitely was there. It definitely was there. Something got created. What got created? Node underscore modules where all the oh, okay. downloaded code is just gone. So okay. in, it's in your node modules you will now find... JS doc and all of its dependencies. Okay. And a few other bits and bobs. A few little surprises for later. Um, So that means we're now ready to start using NPM. So we can now generate our docs by simply saying NPM space run space docs. Isn't that a nicer command than the Glock we had last time? Oh, yeah. And that, that created the docs folder, which is what we expected to do from the script. Correct. And you can run it again and it will just recreate the docs folder without giving any error whatsoever. It's surprisingly slow. There, just finished creating the docs. It is a little on the slow side. Yeah. Like I actually saw a spinny thing as it was creating the HTML files and fonts and all kinds of glop. Interesting. Okay. So in there, there's an index file. Do I get to uh, index.html? Do I get to double click it? Sure. Or open in your favorite browser through your favorite mechanism. Okay, and there's our documentation in the standard theme. Yeah, it's basically this. I just copied and pasted the stuff out of uh, the last. This is basically yeah. PBS 131A with uh, the 3131 change to 132, really, to be honest. There's yeah. one or two other tweaks, but we'll get to those later. Okay. 
So great, we can now generate one of our sets of documentation with zero effort. But the whole point here is that we have two sets of documentation, right? That was that was literally what I set out in installment 130. The show notes right now says installment 30. That is very optimistic that I would have been so forward thinking. I can uh, fix that's that fixed. one if you want. Well, we can both fix it. Um, Git will take care of it. Okay. Um, we actually want our set of docs for people using our API, which we're going to keep calling docs. And then we want our set of docs for people helping. So for me, future me, and all of my helpers. Mm-hmm. So everyone in the community who's going to kick in. And so I refer to those documentation as developer docs. Now, I know the users of an API are developers too, but I'm looking at it from the project's point of view. And so from the project's point of view, you have users and developers. And so I have a convention I have used for the past decade and a half called docs-dev. So if, if I'm working on anything, there will be a docs and a docs-dev. Okay, so the, the, docs the, the folder the containing the development uh, docs, which is a superset of Correct. the regular docs, will be called docs-dev. Okay. Yes. And that's just a convention I've used for so long, I think my brain might break if I stopped using it. So, <laughs> I'm sure I could adapt, but I'm not going to. Um, so that's where we want to end up. But how do we tell JS Doc what goes in and what goes out, right? A superset contains more than the subset. So how do we tell JS Doc which bits are super and which bits aren't? And the answer is the at private block level tag. So anything that is for the developers only gets an at private stuck onto it. And then it will not be in docs. And then we will do a little bit of jiggery pokery and it will be in docs-dev. So the first step is to mark up your code. So if you open up src slash replicator.class.mjs, you will see that there are a bunch of things have at private in them now. So the, 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 the functions we don't export all have at private stuck under the bottom of them. For example, is charge has an at private. And you don't even have to give it any values, right? You just say at private, done. Right, okay. nice and simple. And so anything that's for the developers only, just at private it. And once it's at privated, then the way you tell JS doc whether or not to include it is by either passing it the minus minus private flag or setting opts.private. So if you were only generating one set of docs and you always wanted the private stuff, you could stick into your config file opts.private. But at which point I'm left going, why would you stick the at private tag in? <laughs> but anyway. easier not to write documentation. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Don't want so, to see. Okay. Exactly. So what we will be doing instead is we will be using the command line to specify minus minus private, but we won't be doing it manually because we're going to copy and paste our docs line in the scripts thingy inside our um, package.json. And we're going to make a second script called docs-dev, which is going to be almost identical to docs, except that the variable at the start of the line is going to say doctor becomes equal to docs-dev. And at the very, very end of the command, it says minus minus private. So we get to name the same, you're naming the same variable, or the variable the same thing. Sure, because it's, okay, so a script variable, a, a shell variable comes into being when the shell, when the bash process starts, and it ceases to exist when the bash process ends. 
So when you say npm run something, a new shell is spawned, it runs the script, and then it dies. Okay. So that variable comes into existence at the start of the line, exists for the existence of the line, and then vanishes into the never-never. Okay, okay. Is it a correct statement when it ZSHs? Uh, it'll be a shell. Um, okay, so when the shell is created, it, it yeah, runs and this and then it disappears again. Correct. And it script. is definitely a CAA, an SH style shell. I don't know whether JSDoc hard codes it to SH or whether it's using bash or whether it's using ZSH. Okay. But the standard SH syntax works. Okay. I, use it all the I just time. want to make sure we were, we were agnostic on that statement at this point. We are agnostic on that state. We are, we are as agnostic as JS Doc is, and JS okay. Doc seems to be pretty agnostic. Okay, from my experience, I, I've it has the distinction hasn't tripped me up <laughs> yet. Okay, so the <laughs> two commands does, look uh, the two scripts look almost identical. One we've called docs, one docs dash dev, and the only difference is docs dash dev ends with dash dash private, which tells us only or no to include the private stuff. Everything Correct. you did in docs, but also include the private stuff. Correct. So okay. that gives us the superset. Even though I can't that, read it because the... of the cat walked on the keyboard problem, I understand it. Correct. Which is the point, right? And it's the right once run any, you know, run infinity times. Right. So we can now generate our developer docs by saying npm run space docs dash dev. Run docs dash dev. Okay. Hey, presto, new folder pops into being. It does. And if you open... If you open the two side by side and say go into the page for the package, say, you'll notice that one of them has more entries than the other. The package. What do you mean the package? The class? So the package we call PBS replicator. Sorry, the module. The module. Yeah, okay. I mean the module. Wrong, wrong word. Sorry about that. Okay. Oh yeah, there's a lot more in the dash dev one than there is in the uh in the regular docs. The, plebeian, the regular docs the plebeian only docs. can yeah, the regular docs only contain the class because the only thing we export is the class. Okay. All the rest is purely internal logic. So therefore the dev docs have the internal logic and the public docs don't. Cool. So that is a practical example. And that is, so that is how we can make it do our bidding. So yeah. another problem, sorry. I just want to say the, this is this is wonderful. The only thing I see wrong with it is that it would tend to make me lazy and not understand as much as I if I had to do it every time but okay. I'd be making mistakes at least n minus n plus two times that I did it if it helps I generally okay so this is a task you do rarely this is a kick this is a project kickoff task yeah. So my general approach is to go find the last project I did that I thought was done well and copy and paste Okay. All right. Good. It yeah, is good to know to understand. Yeah, and as I say, the show notes do build them up piece by piece. If you, yeah, for those who want to, um, and partly because I'm finding any excuse to share uh, shell script skills with people. Anyone who will listen will will hear me preach about the shell. And I used to I used to scoff so much at shell script, but it's amazingly powerful. <laughs> so another thing which we said we needed from our documentation was the ability to have additional content as well as the API docs, right? We, we're going to have things like a contributor agreement. We're going to have things like a style guide. We're going to have things like uh, getting started as a contributor, the whole people's hand page, license page. There are going to be additional content in our documentation that is not a doc comment on a piece of specific code. Right. 
So how do we do that with JSDoc? Well, the answer is JSDoc has a feature especially for this, which it has chosen to name tutorials. Because in the mind of JSDoc people, what of course it would be tutorials. What else would it be if it's in your if it's in your documentation? I think they were a bit blinkered, but anyway, it doesn't matter. It's their choice to name things how they wish. Um, and the way this works is there's a flag called minus minus tutorials, which must point to a folder. And that folder must contain files in either HTML or Markdown format. And the file extension must be one of the standard ones for those two file types. So the file should be .md or .markdown or .htm or .html. Okay. Um, under the hood, JSDoc will refer to these files by their tutorial identifier, which sounds real darn fancy. You take the file name, you throw the extension away, and you have the tutorial identifier. Okay. So if if your file is called pancakes.md, the identifier is pancakes. And whenever you're referring to that page within your JSDoc config or within a tag, like we'll talk about in a second, you, you, you address it by its identifier. So we can use the at tutorial tag in the same way you can use an at C tag. So if you have a function that, you, that does something weird with random numbers and you have a page all about random numbers, you can stick into the doc comment at tutorial space the identifier, and in the output of doc in the output of documentation, it will have a link to the right page. Oh, okay. So uh, the at C, as I recall, was to put in a a link, like putting a, a link reference to, to another or something like that thing, right? So at C is a reference to another thing, either a bare URL or something within your documentation. So a specific class or a specific function. Okay, but this is a way of saying I'm going to talk to just a plain old page of text. Correct, exactly. And so you can do it as a block tag, just at tutorial space name of identifier, or as an inline tag if you want to include it in some text. So you Mm. might have a descriptive paragraph. And by the way, if you care about random numbers, you'll see much more details in our open curly at tutorial name of page close curly. And that will get replaced with the link as well. Oh, it actually goes inside the curly braces. Right, so an inline tag is curly at close curly. That's what makes it an inline tag. And a block tag means it's at, at the start of the line. Okay. So at param is a block tag. Open curly at link space something close curly is an inline tag. So you can use at tutorial in either context. So at tutorial is both a block tag and an inline tag, just to confuse you. It's actually kind of sensible. We'll see examples of both. Yeah, in yeah fact, I, can, I can see using that. In fact, here is an example. Uh, the replicator class, its doc comment, I have decided to add a tutorial called Star Trek. Uh, and so, you know, we have all of your glop you had before and then at tutorial space Star Trek. And as you'll see later in the generated documentation, that is a link to our Star Trek page. Or a second example we have a sentence in another .com and it says, this module serves as an example in the at tutorial PBS series. So that's going to become a link to another tutorial page about PBS. 
Okay. So they're the two how, mechanisms. How does, it, how does it know where those are? Because we have told it minus minus tutorial space name of folder. And then when, when PBS will be we, uh, about three paragraphs up. These files, mm. so I can see it in the show notes. Oh, can need to be saved in a single folder, which is specified with the dash dash tutorials flag. There you go. But but where did we specify that? Was that in the config file somewhere? We haven't yet. It okay. is going to be either a command line or a config file. In the okay. same way as minus minus destination, in the same way as okay. minus okay. minus private. But because we're those kind of people, we are definitely going to put it in our jsdoc.conf.json uh, file. Absolutely we are, because it's not going to change, right? We're going right. to make our folder, and then we're going to use it. So we're ex exactly, it's going right in that config file. Okay. In fact, it's been in the config file all along. I just haven't put it in the show notes, because... <sighs> There only is one config Slide file. Double. It contains the finished version. Um, okay. So it's been there all along. Okay, so there so you have examples. I, let me see if I can repeat, repeat this. So we're sure. going to have a, um, we've got our Star Trek uh, documentation, which is going to be a page, uh, an external page written in Markdown in our case, and it's going to be referenced. You're going to tell the uh, config file that go look in the folder that I've created called Pages. Correct. And when, when JSTOC runs, it goes and it says, oh, I need to draw, I need to turn that into a, a, a doc, an HTML file? Correct. Yeah. So it included basically as a pretty file using the same layout and everything else. Okay. Okay. So a bit like the home pages built from the readme that MD, these are going to be other pages built from Markdown files and turned into shiny HTML. Okay. So anyway, we're going to see them in action in a moment. Uh, but we have a little more finessing to do. So by so the identifier is the name of the file with the extension stripped off. So PBS is actually pbs.md and Star Trek is Star Trek.md. And by default, it will put them in the sidebar and in the links it makes as the name of the file with the extension stripped off, which is pretty darn ugly. Wait, why is Thankfully, that ugly? Well, because you... File names are going to be, you know, file names as opposed oh, to... Oh, you mean it's just saying PBS, not program programming by style. Right, exactly. Okay. And Star Trek is in one word all mashed together with no capitalization. Like it, it's File names are file names. They're not pretty things. So we have a solution. You can make a JSON file and you can actually name it anything you like, which is nuts. But you can make a JSON file, shove it in the tutorials folder... And in that JSON file, you specify the information you want, the titles and so forth. Now, in order to have some sanity in the universe, I choose to call mine index.json because it is an index of the tutorials. But okay. honestly, you could call it waffles.json and it would work fine. You would but never understand why there's a file called waffles.json. Okay. But you could. <laughs> right. Why, why don't we call that folder that all this the document the, these pages are in? Why don't we call it tutorials? Is that uh, just because I I I don't consider tutorials to me is too narrow a term, so I call it pages because that's what they really are. It's just that the JS doc people chose to call them. Okay. That's me and the JS doc people having a disagreement of terms. <laughs> you could call it anything, right? Because you include it with the minus minus uh, tutorials flag, so you really could call it waffles. Okay, I would be. T I would tend to call it tutorials, just because then I'll know th that's where the tutorials are, even though they're yeah, not tutorials. That's worth considering. That, yeah, that is worth considering for the 
I'll have to have a good think about that before we do this for real. This is why it's important when you're starting a project that you've had these thoughts. Yeah, I understand that they're not tutorials. Like one of the things we were talking about was where do we put the rules we're going to follow for our style guide? I guess it's sort of a tutorial. If you're you can twist it, right? Yes. Yeah, you can it. twist anything into tutorial. Yeah. You know, if you're a bit flexible, you can you can call anything a tutorial, I guess. I, I'm just a fan of fewer layers of abstraction whenever possible. So having to know that pages means tutorials, even though tutorials doesn't mean anything. <laughs> right, but you don't have to know that, though, because that's that's baked into the config file. We write once and never edit. So mm. in terms of actually writing content, you're going to look for a... F- you're going to be thinking, I need to update the page on our contributor agreement. Oh, and so having it in a folder point. called pages is yeah. actually more friendly. Yep, 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 yep. Okay, okay. You, I think you sold me on that. Woo. I'm going to name so, something waffles, though, at some point, just so you know. Oh, we have to. We have to. <laughs> um, so inside the index.json, as I'm going to call it for all of our sanities, you... It's a JSON file. And so the content of the file is a dictionary where the keys in the dictionary are the identifiers and the values in the dictionary are the HTML attributes. So title Star Trek, title Programming by Stealth. Ta-da! That is going to make nice links. And the reason you don't just call it Star Space Trek with capital S and capital T and a space in it is because you can't. Well, if you do, then you end up with file names with spaces and you have to backslash out spaces in other contexts and stuff. I, I hate messy file names. Just... Okay, but but you're saying you could, on, in when you said tutorial, wouldn't it just pull the first word for a block it, tag? It might be smart enough. It might be smart enough to deal with the spaces and the file names. Okay, but it, yeah. And it would I, probably I work inside have... the, the inline tags, but... I, I much, much, much... Oh, in the inline tags, it would break, actually. Mm. Well, but they're inside the squirrely brackets. It should They're work. inside the squirrely brackets, so it probably would work. But I, I like to have my file names be sensible. And, you know, a file name isn't a title. So don't pretend it is, would be my approach. Mm-hmm. And so this way, yeah. we don't have to have that kind of messing about. You are having to keep track of something in two places, though. Smells yeah. a little bit. Yeah, and the document, the show notes have not been updated with the actual thing that the real file has. So you can include any HTML attribute. So what I'm going to copy and paste into the show notes is that there's also href. You can also have target equals on. Or, no, I'm completely confusing this with something else. Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> I said nothing. I said nothing at all. <laughs> so um, again, he was wrong of, that he was wrong. <laughs> yeah, twice now. Twice. I'm thinking ahead. Um. Yeah, so they are what they are. Uh, if you wanted to style these things, you could... No, now I remember. There was something I wanted to say. In the real world, you may have a complicated hierarchy of tutorials, right? You, you might actually have sub-tutorials. There is a second thing you can have called children, which is an array of identifiers. So you could hypothetically have a file called Star Trek.md, a file called TNG.md, and a file called TOS.ng, uh, sorry, .md, and then you could say Star Trek, open curly, title colon Star Trek, on the next line, children colon, open square bracket, TNG comma TOS, mm. close square bracket, and then later down, TOS, the original series, etc. And then when it's writing it out in the menu, it will nest them according to the children attribute. Oh, interesting. 
that's hard to say, but it's actually quite easy to do. But yeah. In a controlled example, you do not have nesting, so I didn't I didn't actually include nesting. And if I'd had infinity of time, I might have found some sort of excuse for nested tutorials. But I'll be honest, I was a bit against the clock today, so we'll have to make do without. Um, okay, well, that then brings us to the aesthetic part of the show. So all of this has been very practical, right? What do we want to include? How do we want to configure it? How do we want to generate it, right? Very practical hows. Well, the other thing we get to assert some opinion on is the look of what comes out of JS Doc, right? Not the content of what comes out of JS Doc, but what it looks like. And internally, JS Doc called that templates, the entire universe and a few paragraphs inside the JS doc documentation call it by what is now the accepted name for such things, themes, right? The whole of the rest of the computing industry uses themes for these things. So if you Google for JS doc templates, you'll find nothing. If you Google for JS doc themes, you'll find loads. So under the hood, they're still called templates, which is important in terms of the bloody config variables. But Honest to goodness, they're just themes. Just We're just going to call them themes. Okay. Now, I challenged you last time, like, what are you whining about themes? Why does that really matter? But the, the default theme is actually, it's difficult to understand the documentation because of the way the theme is drawn. Correct. Correct, correct, correct. It's not bad. It's just drawn that way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, I have two big complaints with the default theme. The first of them is that I have three big, among my major complaints... Um, I'm doing a real Monty Python here, but it doesn't have a lot of detail in the sidebar. It doesn't nest down into the sub-levels, which is really annoying because I want to jump to a specific function in a class, but no, I have to click on the class and then scroll down. That makes me cranky. I don't find the bloody sidebar because it's literally on the wrong side. That makes me cranky. Mm -hmm. And then when I do finally get into a page with details on a class, I find it very difficult to see where the description of one function ends and the description of the next function begins. And when you're scrolling quickly through a big list, because you have to scroll because there's nothing in the sidebar, that's not good. So I, I wish I'd, you'd talked about this the first time we talked about JS Doc about 100 episodes ago, because I remember sitting there looking, going, I can't tell where it begins and where it ends. There's no clean delineation between them that brackets this group of things together. That, that always bothered me, and I never thought about it, that it was from the theme. It's from the theme, and it is one of the biggest flaws with a lot of the themes you look at. Because th the default theme is very pretty. And at very first glance, you go, oh, modern, minimalist. Oh, this is nice. Mm -hmm. And then you run it through some actual JS doc, and you try to read the actual documentation it produced, and you just get crankier and crankier and crankier. It's like, yeah, it's pretty, but it doesn't work. <laughs> now, other than that. Other than that, it's great. So to use another theme, the big picture process always starts the same, but then it becomes different for every theme because each theme has different functionality. And so each theme will have its own documentation for its own configuration options. But to get started, it's always going to be the same. It's going to be npm space install space minus minus save minus dev, the name of the theme's project. So the, basically the, the theme will exist in NPM and you just got to install it as if it was like you would with, you know, Moment or whatever. 
I've already done that. So if you open up the uh, package.json file, you'll see the dev dependencies list JSDoc and three themes. Hang on, I'm going to back up for just a second. Where did you tell it those three themes? So you didn't... Okay, so I'm saying that I ran the command npm space install space minus minus save dev, and that had the effect of writing those into the package.json file. Oh, okay, okay. I could have, of course, written them straight into the package.json file. So when you did an npm ci, you installed jsdoc and everything else listed in that package.json file. So you have actually already installed the three themes. I see. Okay. I was like, did I miss that? No, no, I I, I provided for you. And here is how you do it. So once they're installed, you enable a specific theme with the minus minus template flag or ops.template configuration option which because they're again they're equivalent to each other should you want to explicitly specify the default theme the magic name for it is templates forward slash default each individual theme will have its own way of specifying its name so that will just be included on the home page for the theme so before we look at the three exact the three nominees for the prize of whatever way we want to describe it are three candidates i don't know Anyway, before we look at our three contenders, I guess I should say what I want, right? So to me, the four criteria I was judging against were must be actively maintained because I have been bitten by this. One of the, I have used themes before that looked really nice and that I was happy with and they were abandonware. And then ES6 came out and added a whole bunch of new JavaScript syntax and the theme had no idea how to document them. It would just ignore the tags that didn't used to exist because they didn't used to exist, and the theme has been fossilized for a decade. Uh, There were no JavaScript classes, so of course it doesn't know what to do with them. uh, That made me very cranky. So I went to all the GitHub pages, and I ended up throwing an awful lot of contenders out because when I went to GitHub, it said last commit five years ago. (laughs) Okay, I like you, but goodbye. The second requirement is it's 2021, just about. Its theme has to be responsive. If I resize the window, you'd better do something sensible with that sidebar. It'd better collapse into a hamburger or we're going to be very cranky. The third thing is I should be able to use the sidebar to actually go where I want to go. And when I arrive where I want to go, I should be able to tell where one thing ends and the next thing begins. In other words, the bloody thing must be clear. So the the stock theme is not responsive. I know. It, 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 like I say, superficially pretty, but you <laughs> nick the surface just the tiniest bit and it, it fails. And then finally, I, I would like it to be aesthetically pleasing. I kind of like things to be plain so as not to distract from the documentation. I, I, you know, don't make them big frilly letters and stuff, you know. And it seems don't like make it, if we're going to stare at it a lot, you don't want it don't, jarring or annoying to you. Yeah, don't hurt my eyes and don't get too flowery. So don't be ugly, but really don't get carried away. <laughs> don't be too cute. Yes. So they were my four rules. Most of them, well, they're all a bit arbitrary. The first one isn't that arbitrary. The second one isn't arbitrary at all. But the, you could argue with the other ones becoming ever well, more arbitrary. Especially clear, the fourth. Clear isn't arbitrary either. It might be qualitative, 
it's definitely qualitative rather than quantitative, right? You know, must be recently maintained. I specify recent to mean two years. Hey, presto, we have a quantitative measure. Must mm-hmm. be responsive, true or false. But uh, the rest are a bit more up in the air. But anyway, after a lot of Googling, a lot of, yeah, yay, aww, we, we ended up with three remain three candidates standing, and one of them, to be honest, is only standing because it's an old friend. So the first one is Minami, which has been an almost brilliant theme for ages. It, it it's, it's really, like, it looks nice. It has a feature I adore where each of the different types in the sidebar have a colourful icon. It's just a letter inside a square box, but classes have a little letter C in one colour and functions have a little F in a different colour and variables have a little, I think it's a P for parameter in a different colour. And so you have the coloured boxes and when you get to know Minami, the colours are really useful. The little boxes are a nice touch. It's very nice typography. There's a lot to like, but, 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 but. The sidebar, believe it or not, there is nesting going on in the sidebar and it's just not obvious in Minami. The distinction between one element and the next is better than default, but that's a bit of a low bar. And I'm afraid it's not much better than default. Now, I'm, I'm jumping ahead in the show notes, actually, because, um, I yeah, I'm going to stop digging in deep. There are three of them, Minami, CleanJS theme, and DocDash. So let's actually install these. Can I just say one thing about it, though? And I think you sort of alluded to this. In 30 days, it will have been two years since Minami's been touched. Yeah, so it's right on the edge. If I squint at it, it's maintained. Yeah, in 31 days, it doesn't meet your criteria. Yeah, it's, like I say, if it hadn't been an old friend, it wouldn't have been on the list at all. But I I really, honestly, it has been almost perfect for a decade and a half, I'd say. Um, And I have have used it. Um, A a lot of my real world stuff with my work hat on is done in Minami. And it works. But I've always wanted Minami only better. Uh, Anyway, so I had to consider it because it's been so close for so long. But it's... Uh, spoiler alert, it's not going to win. Um, but let's let's stop talking in the abstract. I have created in the actual um, package.json file a whole bunch of commands to make a whole bunch of folders so we can experiment with all of these docs side by side. So if you do npm run docs-dev-minami, then npm run docs-dev-clean, and npm run docs-dev-doc-dash, you will end up with three new folders with the same names that will contain the same documentation with those three themes. So we can actually compare like for like. So I think since you stopped, you may not have said the full names of the three themes. So there was Manami, which was your old friend, clean JS doc theme. What a great name. It's a wonderful name, right? That's, yeah, <laughs> short and pithy, right? It does get the point across. And doc-dash. And exactly. So there are the three names. Exactly. Uh, so we already did our deep dive into Manami. And I basically said what I wanted to say. It's just about sort of kind of maintained. But if you open it up, right? So in the sidebar, you can see that you have the class. And then underneath the class, you have its publicly, you have its uh, member functions. But they're at the same indentation level. 
that looks like a list of three mm. things, not a list of a master with three chil- with two children. And the same is true with the oh. module. The title of the module and the two things inside the module or the three things inside the module are at the same... They don't look like children. They don't look like they're nested. They are. But you can never tell. Yeah. Yeah, so they're, uh, you're supposed to be looking at the color coding. That also might be difficult for from an accessibility perspective. Light blue versus light purple tells you which is the parent and which is the child. Well, there is also the letter inside this, the icon, right? So even if you were to turn off color and go grayscale, the, the C for class, M for member. No, M for module. M for module two at the top level. And then I mean, F there are letters, basically. Function. F for function, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, so it's not purely color. So yeah. you could make that argument, but it's not clear that they are of different levels of importance because the icons and the text are the same size and indented by the same amount. That is no right. way to show nesting, right? And either they should be squ- smaller squares in a smaller font, or indented, right. or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Give me something. Uh, and then the other thing is, if you actually click on, say, the module. So if you click on uh, PBS Replicator, say. Mm-hmm. And you actually go in. It's easier to tell where one thing ends and the next thing begins than the default theme, because yes. there is a very, very faint HR. But it's a very, very faint HR. Like there's there's little horizontal lines. It might be in the class that it doesn't with HRs. Like the, there are HRs in places. Okay, I'm maybe it's in re- Replicator. Uh, yeah, yeah, in, in uh the class, I see it. Yeah, yeah, but it's better. And it's not always there. Yeah, that too. It's like between yes. members and methods, there isn't one. Yeah, but within oh. basically, so it's within a section. So within the members, the members yeah. are separated. With better, we, we can do better. Yeah, it's better, but we could so do better. So the next one that I thought was going to be the winner for a while, particularly because the name sort of is like. Bart wanted the clean JS doc theme and Bart found something called clean JS doc theme. So Bart immediately thought, ha ha. <laughs> and it's very actively maintained. It's last commit is like a few days ago. So that, that had it going. It also has a pretty sizable, like if you look on its GitHub page, it has quite a few contributors. So it seems to be alive and kicking. So that that's good. It's also very configurable, which is nice. And it actually has a pretty decent separation between things. And the sidebar very clearly shows the nesting. The sidebar is a fixed size, though. It has a width, uh, and can, it is can, going to be that width whether you like it or not. Well, it will collapse to a hamburger, but it puts the hamburger... But that's the your only choice. When it's there, it's like uh, a third of my screen. And when it's not there, it's a hamburger. That is... There are some settings for tweaking the behavior of the sidebar. In the remember I said it was a very configurable thing. There are some settings. I haven't dug at them very deeply and I'm not going to. Uh, spoiler alert, this one doesn't win either. Um, but there is actually some an control. opinion on it. Yes. Yeah, there is, there, there is, there is, a, there is some control you can assert over the sidebar. Um, so it's, you're not stuck with it within its default behavior, but it's not infinite control. Um, so this one, this one has a chance, right? This is not a, this one has a chance. And then the other one that initially I I wasn't a fan of because super it's the opposite of the default theme. Superficially, it turned me off, but the more I looked at the detail, the more I fell in love with it. So I'm going to get my biggest complaint out of the way. Purple. What the, purple. With a few well, shades of fuchsia. It's not all purple. 
It's not all purple, but the purple is what separates things visually. <laughs> it's so you, very separated. <laughs> yeah. It's not so, horrible. It's just a little, huh. It, it's a very opinionated purple, and I don't like its opinion. Yeah. I think I could get inside used the to purple, it, though, It's got drop shadows on the purple boxes, too. Which is nice. But what particularly grates at my eyes is that inside the purple boxes, you obviously need an even more extreme colour to make the text legible, which is some sort of fuchsia. Yeah. Or something. It's so a little the, bright, but it, but it is it is very clear. Yes. And, and the thing that I didn't like about the... Uh, which one didn't I like? The clean JS doc theme was that the font is massive for the, the titles of things. It's uh, 62 uh, points where the uh, the doc dash is 48 points. It's a lot smaller. And I, I mean, sure, you might need to make things bigger. Command plus plus plus, go for it. But I don't like a third of my screen being a title. I mean, it is certainly fashion. There is certainly a fashion. I mean, you know, the, the value of negative space and stuff, but there is a balance there somewhere. It didn't grate on me the way it grated on you, but once you said that, I was like, oh yeah, they're a bit on the big side. Um, but it, it's not what caught my eye immediately, but I, I totally see I totally see where you're coming from. Didn't it also, I'm looking for it now, it had big black things somewhere. Oh, the... Uh, yeah, the code boxes were a bit too yeah, blocky. They're, 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 one thing I did have going for it was that there was a dark theme and a light theme built in. So you, you basically got two themes for the price of one. Now, I'm um, not going to go dark. I, I was going to go light anyway, but... I, Hypothetically, you had two for the price of one. Yeah. Mm. So something, uh, but that doesn't address your concern of these giant big wasted spaces. So <laughs> you know, um, sticking with Doc Dash for a sec. So after I got over the purple, I noticed that the sidebar actually has a very good nesting. Uh, it collapses to a hamburger properly, and the hamburger is at the top instead of the bottom. Good. Be standard. Don't be non-standard. I like it. And the separation is superb, right? Those purple bars, while I may disagree with the purpleness, they serve their function supremely well. The big bar starts a new section, and it's really obvious what the section is about, and it's really obvious when it ends. So Yeah, if we want, for clear points, I think it, it's, it does extremely ding, ding, ding. well. Yeah. The font yeah. on the and the sidebar is kind of small. Yeah. For those with reduced vision, that's going to be a little tough. You can command plus, but that's going to increase the size of the uh, of the main body of the documentation too. Mm-hmm. It, keep keep track of those criticisms, actually. Um so okay. as well as so clean JS doc was configurable, but so is Docdash. There's actually oh. quite a bit of configuration we can do. Uh, so we may actually be able to address some of these shortcomings, including the purple. Um, so, you know, it's 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 not it's not quite as active on GitHub as CleanJS Doc, but it's pretty active, and it's got a decent decent community of contributors as well. So actually, it's looking pretty darn good. I and, like you know, it. Yeah, and these show notes originally had an ending where I basically went, I'm going to sit on the fence for another two weeks because I can't make up my mind. And then I hit push, and then Allison pulled, and Allison ran the commands, and Allison went, oh my God, the font! <laughs> I was like, okay, there we go, decision made, problem solved. So Doc we're Dash going wins. with DuckDash. DuckDash wins. You know, I, I was, you know, the coin had balanced on its edge, and you just went, <laughs> <"Dunk!"> <laughs> over Yay. it goes. 
Yay. So now that we've made our choice, we can go a bit further. So I've been mentioning that both DuckDash and CleanJS were configurable. Well, I wasn't going to waste my time describing two lots of configuration. But hey, we've just made our choice. So I was able to add another bit to the show notes where we can actually do a little bit. So DuckDash, it shall be. And DuckDash allows itself to be configured by adding a new section to your jsdoc.conf.json named DuckDash. So you basically start a new section, DuckDash, and in there goes your DuckDash configuration. Wait a minute. What? The file is called jsdoc.conf.json. How does it end up with jsdoc.doc-conf.json? Because I just copied it and made a new one so that otherwise... Right, it could be called that. It could be, remember, it could be called waffles.json. I've just oh, made a second you wouldn't one. Normal, you wouldn't use both. No, no, this is, okay, so for this example, I have made a second file so that I can show you how to configure it. Ah, there you go. So the, we didn't actually get to see in the show notes how you cause these themes to exist in here, though. Right, because we're just trying to look at them. So we're, right, but we're if gonna, I wanted gonna, to add a theme in, to my project, right, I don't know. Right, but we're going in deeper now. Now Good. that we've picked okay. one. Now that we've picked one, we can go deep. Okay. Er. How to get uh, it we did, in the uh, first no, we, did say the we did say the important part, right? It's the minus minus tutorial, the minus minus template config setting is how you say which one to use. Yeah, but you got to go get it first. They're not all just uh, That was the NPM install bit that we also said. Right, but it's not in the show notes. No, no, it is in the show notes. NPM install. It says to install a theme, NPM install minus minus save oh, okay. dev name of. Okay. Never mind. Scrolly, scrolly, scrolly. So. To configure DocDash, you make a new section in your config file called DocDash, and then you just put all of the DocDash settings in there, which is nice and self-contained because these are custom to DocDash, so they shouldn't be scattered about through the config file because if you ever change your theme, they won't do anything because they're DocDash specific. So thank you, DocDash, for putting it all together in a thing called DocDash. So it's bloody obvious that this is not standard JS doc. This is DocDash. Okay. So... The documentation for DocDash contains a full list of every single setting, but there's a few... I just want to do a few here to experiment with. So the first set of things I did was I didn't like a few details about the sidebar. First off, no search box. Okay, mm -hmm. in our dumb little project, that's fine. In the real world, not fine. Thankfully, we can say search colon true, and ta-da, a search box appears. Oh, cool. For reasons I don't grok, and this is not a docdash thing, this seems to be generic to, the, the default theme does this too, and so does Manami, and they all seem to do it. Under a class, if they break it down at all in the sidebar, they only show members, they don't show static. So they, on, they only show instance things, not static things. Hmm. And how'd I'm you, just sitting there going, but they're that? both important. They're both yeah. important. Why would you put one in and ignore the other? Thankfully, there's a config variable, static colon true. Ta-da! They're now in the sidebar. So did you figure out that the static functions weren't there by reading the documentation on how, on how to modify it? Or did you notice they weren't there? I noticed they weren't there in the default theme, and I was continuing to mutter under my breath about it in every other theme, and I was like, well, that's a JS doc thing. And then I, then I saw the list of things I could do in DocDash. I was like, yay! Okay. Uh, and then the other one that makes me cranky because I'm such a stickler about type defs is that by default, type defs don't show up in the sidebar either. Right, you got to click on the oh. word global and then you see them. It's like, well, why? I'm sorry, but these are important. Why wouldn't they be in the sidebar? So yeah. type defs colon true. Bing, they're now in the sidebar. 
So that was my first tranche of customization. I ran I ran my build command again, and hey presto, looked at the docs. Better. So then I kept on reading, what else can I do? Well, the next useful thing to do is that you can actually reorder the sidebar. So it puts classes on top of modules. And that breaks my brain. Hmm. Like okay. modules are bigger. Modules contain <laughs> classes. They should be on top. But I think you it's, can, and it's not alphabetical because global's at the bottom. Yeah, now global at the bottom is is a, is a little bugbear because we can reorder everything but global. <laughs> global will be at the bottom always. I don't know why okay. it's stuck there, but we can't change that one. Okay. However. We can add section order and we can pass it an array of the sections we want. And this has two functions. It lets us specify the sort order. And if we were to want to, we could omit ones we don't want in the sidebar. Hmm. Now, in this case, there's nothing we don't want. But in a more detailed project, there may actually, there's actually more than just these three types of thing that can be in the sidebar. So we, in a more detailed project, there might be something you proactively choose to do. But anyway, for us now, it's about the order. And so I just listed what I wanted in the order I wanted. And hey, presto, it updated the sidebar to be modules first, classes second, tutorials before general, which we can't move, or global, which we can't move. And then the last thing it let you do that I thought was very intriguing is it lets you add custom items under the word home and before the list of things. And so you can just basically say menu as the config thing, and it takes an, uh, a dictionary where the keys are the titles and the values are, sorry, the keys are the titles, which are then another dictionary of basically link tag attributes, href, whatever the URL, target, whatever you want. You could also have ID if you wanted to have IDs and stuff, so you can tweak with them. Basically, anything that can go in an ahref tag, you can stick into these objects and it will just get included. So I just took links to, you know, my Bardvisor creations, which is the, the hat I wear for this podcasting stuff, and your pod feed. Nice. In reality, that's going to be the GitHub page. Yeah, that would make sense. Um... One of the things I like to do is, like, you could have it be a link to uh, the uh, JS doc would be a thing. Yeah, I mean, you could have it basically whatever is going to make sense to us. And as we build the project for real, it'll become obvious what people want in that sidebar. But basically, we can control it and we can put in whatever we want. That's nifty. That is nifty. So I like that. So anyway, after all that messing about, we end up with a final uh, doc-config in fact, not just the final doc-config, I've actually included in the show notes the entire and complete JSDoc config file, which has actually gotten quite big. By the time you've included the doc-stuff, our options, our tutorials tag is in there, our source, our plugins, our tags, they've ended up with quite a big config file. But hey, it's what we want. Yeah, we have... and it's, it's clean and easy to read. You can tell what's what. Exactly. Yeah. Now... I haven't experimented with it yet, but something I paid, something that very strongly caught my eye when looking at the documentation for DocDash is it has explicit support for specifying the path to custom CSS files. So if I don't like purple, I can write myself some custom CSS and include it in the config. <laughs> and will so, it be, become baby blue for all of us then? Yes. <laughs> 
And I think if you're, so if you're saying that the, we could do with tweaking some font sizes, I think that'll be the same mechanism. So basically, I think any rough edges, I think we can file them smooth. Yeah, yeah. Just it's slight, slight annoyance, but the, the structure is good. And the, and like we said, the clarity is really good on this. Yeah, so big picture, this meets our needs. And the little things where we're like, yeah, but not perfect. I think we'll get there with some CSS. So I think we can mold this into being very much what we want it to be. This is fun. Yeah. So anyway, there we are. So that is uh, that is our worked final example. So I think I think we are now in a very good place to become documenters. And the fact that there's already excitement proves it. If I was just good at writing the documentation. Well, this is something I'm hoping, right? So a lot of people want to contribute to open source, but aren't coders, mm-hmm. but they're often very good at English. They're right. the kind of people that I would hope we can have on board, particularly the markdown files that will form the, the pages. Those in particular should be nicely crafted to be clear and concise and so forth. So that is, and in fact, I listen to a lot of podcasts about open source and whenever they ask the maintainer of a project, so how can the community help? They always mention documentation. They always say, oh, interesting. We, we have lots of people who want to write code. We have so few people who want to write documentation. Interesting. Interesting. I'm pretty good at documenting stuff, but I, I'm talking about the, the doc comments. That's where I still struggle that I think I need to sit down, have some quality time with the documentation, understand how to even write those. I mean, I, I know how to write uh, you know, squiggly param. And then I sit there and I look at it and I go, yeah, but what is it? Is What is that called? Where am I supposed to do? So. Right. Now, I w- okay, so if I may give some generic advice, it, it, this is just generic advice, but starting with the English paragraph above the at params and stuff is often a good way to go because at the very least, if that's all you manage to get done, you now have a nice, concise description sitting next to everything. If you okay. can then improve the documentation, so you need how you improve it is going to depend on what it is, right? So everything can everything, whether it's a class, whether it's a function, whether it's a variable, everything can benefit from a short sentence that says what it is, right? So that will always work everywhere. Then what you do next will depend. If it's a variable, then the only thing that makes sense after that is to say what type it is. So at type and then describe the type using a type expression. So at type string, or at type array, right? And if it's an array, can you be more specific? Can you say array dot what's in the array? So you just helped me right away. I wrote at array, and it went, what? (laughs) Exactly, at type. type, Array. And then what it is, exactly. Okay. Exactly. If it's a function, then we're back to black box territory. So at params for each of the inputs and at returns for what comes out the other side. If you're getting more advanced, at throws for any errors the function might throw. But now you're getting, you know, you're, you're, you're building up, you're building up. But even if you only have a paragraph, this function takes a waffle and turns it into a pancake. Well, that's, that is so much better than nothing. That is an infinity better than nothing. If you could then follow on with saying at param, you know, pancake, which will become a link to the pancake class, at returns waffle, which will become a link to the waffle class, better, 
but the English paragraph got you 80%. Right. And the right. at param and the at returns took you to the, this is better, you know, took you better. It was worth doing. But really, just if you can just get to the point where you're writing a one sentence description, it will help you write the function better. It will help you name the function better. And it, it will serve as, as a really good starting point. Okay. Okay. I'll start down that. It's just knowing, like knowing that at param is the input stuff and at returns is the output stuff. Like I knew I was supposed to write at param, but I wasn't sure that that was always the inputs. Yes. It's short for parameter, which is a, not a euphemism. Um, another word for argument. So arguments are parameters. Okay. Okay. Just like so I think I, I don't know the lingo and I think that's where I need to spend some quality time with the documentation. Yes. Yes. And like I say, the patterns will become quite well established. So your three most important tags are at type for variables, at param and at returns for functions. Those three. That That is so, 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 so much of the work there. Just those three. All right. I think I've got a better start on it already just by asking that question. <laughs> it, it, but it's a good question, right? Because especially if you go to the docs where you have an alphabetic listing of every tag. Well, gosh darn it, there's a lot of tags. Because yeah, that's kind of the long, what I did, and I was like, ooh. It's kind of the long tail thing, though, right? So those three tags I just mentioned are the peak of your distribution, right? Mm -hmm. They are by far the most frequent tag by an infinity. And then some of those other tags, like at extends, well, that means that will only ever apply to a class. And then it will only apply to a class that inherits from another class. Well, I don't write that many classes compared to variables. And I don't write that many classes that inherit. So at extends is going to get used so much less. And a lot of those tags fall into that category. It's, it's great that they exist, but they're not your bread and butter. You know, they're, they're the icing on the cake. They're the little cherry just to make the, you know, just to perfect it. You know, ding, it's now perfect. I have successfully gotten comments to show up in documentation, and I consider that my initial victory at this point. So I will Agreed. make my next step as I will have paragraphs describing what these things are. Yep. And in a way, that's probably kind of useful as uh, in the NoSilicast, I talked about how when I got stuck recently on some coding, my solution, instead of bothering Bart or Dorothy or Helma with some a, a written letter to them telling them what I was struggling with, instead I wrote the letter without any intention of ever sending it to them. And, yeah. I, and it really helped. But if I had to write those paragraphs, I bet that would help too, is as I'm describing it going, well, it doesn't actually do that, but that's what it was supposed to do. Why doesn't it do that? And I mean, different people, different people's brains work differently. So it will help different people in different ways. But the way it helps me is when I'm faced with that empty page, the first thing I write is the doc comments, because that helps me clarify what functions I need, right? Because I start writing, this function does blah, blah, blah. And then I go, oh, that's actually two jobs. And then, okay, so this function does one thing, followed by, and this function does the other thing. And now I have two doc comments. Well, okay, I'm going to have to write two functions. Well, what should it go in and what should come out? At param, here's what comes in. At returns, here's what comes out. Okay, haven't written a line of code yet, but I've done a lot of thinking. And then when my doc comment is built, well, I can just write the code. I can just look up. Okay, okay. Now, as I'm writing the code, it turns out I was wrong, right? There's a practical reason why that idea won't work. Okay, I'll write the code whatever way it has to be, and then I'll correct my first guess in the doc comment. Okay, okay. You you know what you're doing, which is an advantage. No, no isn't the word. I have done this enough that 
things that don't work well don't get done anymore because they weren't valuable. And things I did by accident once that turned out to be really useful now get done all the time. <laughs> okay. Right? It's, it, that's, that's called experience. And as Malcolm Gladwell has told the whole universe, 10,000 hours and you'll be grand. <laughs> well, that seems like a good spot to end here, Bart. Perfect. Well, folks, until next time, happy documentation. And happy new year. And new year and Festivus and basically... Whatever, whatever you're doing in this time of year, in these weird, weird times, have, have it be as fulfilling, as enjoyable, as relaxing as possible. It won't be normal. Doesn't matter. Just make the best of it. If you learn as much from Bart each week as I do, I'd like you to go over to lets-talk.ie and press one of the buttons over there to help support him. He does 98% of the work here. I'm just the stooge that listens to him and asks the dumb questions. If you go over to lets-talk.ie, you can support him on Patreon, you can donate via PayPal, or you can use one of his referral links. I really hope you'll go over and help him out. In the meantime, you can contact me at Podfeet or check out all of the shows we do over there over at podfeet.com. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.